Turn your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 1. Continuing our theme on the attributes of God. This morning I want us to look at the attribute of God's quiet faithfulness. Um, I have the uh, tendency sometimes to, uh, to miss what's important, what's, what's happening. Uh, I don't know about you, but there's times I've been called down for... Uh, for doing something over here when something over here is what's important and what should be happening. And so somebody says, shh, quiet. You know, the performance has already started. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the significant thing. And, it, and there's times um, where, where you go through life and, and, and you just, you're in your own little world and you miss that something more important is going on, but we have this tendency to think that the important stuff should be the noisy stuff. I'm, I remember being on a, on a board where uh, all the board members were challenged to be noisy. And marketing, it's all about how to be noisy, to, to make your product noisy, so people hear it, see it, and go for it. And we think the noisy things are the significant things. Even in church, sometimes we think if there's not enough noise, well, nothing's going on there. And we miss that there's a lot of times, a lots of things that are going on that just go on quietly. I remember coming into a church one time and the deacon calling me out saying, shh, quiet. I'm like, what? He said, behind these doors, there's a prayer meeting happening. And stop and think about the significance of talking with God. And your idle talk doesn't need to be part of the competition. I walked up to a visit someone who just had a baby, and I loved the sign. It was at the front door, right by the doorbell, and said, quiet, please, mother and baby sleeping. And those of you who have been in that situation, you know it's very significant to get your rest when you can. You didn't need me or anybody else interrupting that it's a very and it was happening in silence think about all the quiet things that are extremely significant um and you start it really got me to thinking about how many things god does in silence that are extremely significant and this gets us to god's faithfulness think about the silent things god does we could spend an hour thinking of all that happens. Think about the significance of a cloud. Have you ever heard one? As it floats across the sky, brings up moisture and develops water and rain. The quiet work of God maintaining the sun. Did you hear the sun come up this morning? Or see the hear the moon when it comes up or the stars or think about the significant work of God have you have you ever heard God fashioning a baby in a mother's womb or have you ever been there when God was regenerating a soul from darkness to light did you hear the noise of that or did you ever hear God lean forward and listen to the prayers of his people from every language, all at the same time. Does God groan? 
Does God make noise? There's so many things God does in silence. That is what sustains us. It's his faithful activity. It's going on all around us. Uh, Did you hear him crank up the oxygen tanks this morning? And give you and me the next breath? And if he doesn't do that work, we don't breathe. That's... And he does it quietly. So many times I think, oh, shh, quiet. Let's listen to God for a moment. Let's think about what God is doing in this place. And that's what we see in Exodus chapter 1. I want us to, to see this quiet, accelerating birth rate, okay? God making babies. And he describes it here over and over. Look at verse 7, Exodus 1. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty. So the land was filled with them. I mean, you just see he's kind of stair-stepping it to his highest level. That fruitful. Then it's greater. And then we go from addition to multiplication. And then we go to a number, really you can't count, everybody's, the land's filled. Like the sands of grain on the seashore, the stars in the sky. He begins to show us this work of God silently making babies. Verse 9, he said to the people, behold, I want you to notice this. The people of the sons of Israel are more and they're mightier than we. Again in verse 12, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, the more they spread out, so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. You just see this increase down in verse 20. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. How mighty? Look over to chapter 12, verse 37, and we get a number. Chapter 12, verse 37 says, now... The sons of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth about 600,000 men on foot aside from children. Now, they're numbering the fighting men. So there's 600,000 of them. There are tribes in Israel that didn't have fighting men like the tribes of Levi. So you add those men to this number. You add wives to this number. You add children, since children weren't included, at least two or three or six children per family, um, as you think about that. So the number has grown to somewhere between three and ten million people. They started with 70. So let's call it 7 million. How about that? that 70, from seven, 70 people to 7 million. That's what we're reading about in Exodus 1. God multiplying, increasing greatly his church from 70 people to 7 million people. And that's the silent, quiet, faithful work of God. Now, it frustrated Pharaoh, and we'll see that. But I want us first just to recognize that activity. Um, Families came to Egypt, verse 6 and 7. Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. Okay, who's Joseph? You remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
had a son named Joseph. Joseph was the one who went to Egypt ahead of his brothers because they sold him into slavery. He's there. And when they get there, that's the half of Genesis. When he finally gets there, um, there's 70 of them. Let me read it to you. Verse, verse, verse 1. Now, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came, each one with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, and all the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number, but Joseph already there in Egypt. Um, so they all get there, and there's 70 of them in number. And, of course, God has sent Joseph ahead of them to be in charge of the food supplies and provide for them and sustain them. So now that they're there, they start being blessed by God, and they multiply. There's more and more and more and more children. Um, you know, they increase greatly. Why? Look, look at a... Um, let me, let me remind you of some verses. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12. And now you'll see what's going on. Remember the, faith, the promises of God. Then you'll see the faithfulness of God to keep his promise. Uh, Genesis 12 verse 2. And I will make you a great nation. He's talking to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. Look over at chapter 15 verse Five. So now he took him outside, still talking to Abraham. He says, now look towards the heaven. Count the stars, if you're able to count them. Of course, he's not. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. That's a promise. I'm going to make you a great nation. He says, can you look up at the stars and count them? No, I can't do that. It's too many. So that's how many kids I'm going to give you. He said, really? Oh, that's pretty significant. Chapter 17 Verse 6 says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I'll make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Chapter 22, verse 17. Then it switches. Abraham, Isaac. Uh, So Genesis 22, verse 17 says, Indeed, I will bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And, and you get the point. God makes this promise to Abraham. Then he makes this promise to Isaac. And I could read it. And he makes this promise to Jacob. Jacob has a son named Joseph. And he sends Joseph off to Egypt. God doesn't renege on his promises. He doesn't shirk the responsibility to keep his word. Everything that God says is true, and it comes about. Uh, So you get to Exodus 1, even though people died, Joseph is dead, it tells us in Exodus 1, but God's still faithful to keep his word. How long does it take to make so many babies you can't count them? It takes a little while. As a matter of fact, I mean, he tells us, in Exodus, in Exodus 12, it took 430 years. But you get up to a number like 7 million, you can't, you can't keep up with the names anymore, right? Though God can name the stars, we can't name 7 million people and keep up. Those, these are my kids. These are my 
grandkids and great grandkids. You know, that's a lot. Look at uh, Genesis 46. Just give you one more passage from there. Genesis 46, verses 2 and 3. So God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. He said, I'm God. I'm the God of your father. Don't be afraid. Go down to Egypt. I will make you a great nation there. So that's the move. Jacob didn't want to go to Egypt, but he goes and discovers his son. Joseph is already there. He's taken care of, and that's where God is going to multiply him, and he does over and over and over. Um, Sometimes we think God's got to have certain leaders in place for us. Uh, I've been to a funeral home before where somebody says, you know, whoever it is, Aunt Sally, let's call her Aunt Sally. Aunt Sally died. She was the rock. She was the one who kept our family together. I don't know how we're going to make it. And in Exodus, they could have been saying that Joseph was the rock. He was the one God sent ahead. I don't know how we'll make it. And yet it says, Joseph died. And immediately after that, and the people began to multiply and greatly increase. So Abraham got the promise. Isaac got the promise. Jacob got the promise. Joseph gets the promise. And they get up to 70 folks and they die. And they're thinking, is God going to keep his promise? And God says, I got this. And God continues to grow this group of 70 into 7 million. He's growing his church. And he says, I'm going to make you a national church that blesses other nations. I will bless them through you. Um, our security is not in people. Our security is in God. Um, God's made us. He's made promises to us. Sometimes we think they, they will only come true in, in our lifetime. And we forget God's in, in the long game. God's in this game for building a national church for 430 years. And we sometimes fail to see the significance of the resurrection, that our, our life is eternal. It's not over. The promises God makes to us, they go on. God never reneges on a promise. If he has promised to remove your sin as far as the east is from the west, it's gone. You're forgiven. If he says, he who begins a good work in you will complete it, he will. The future is bright. Tomorrow will be better. If he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you to the end of the age. He will be with us. Even in times of silence. His presence is with us to strengthen us and to encourage us. And that's what the people of God in Exodus 1 could hang on to. So you see that faithful activity of God being with his people, multiplying his people just as he promised. Then you begin to see this abundance really threaten the people around him, verses 8 through 14. It says now, verse 8, a new king arose. That's important because the Pharaoh who was existing during Joseph's time, he gave Joseph power of second in charge. Now we got a new king, verse 8. A new king arose over Egypt who didn't know Joseph. So he has no favors um, 
for Joseph at all. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. The key word there is more. Keeps coming up throughout the passage. Um, Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply. And in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh storage cities, uh, Vitham and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. So uh, the new king, what's what's his strategy? His strategy is not justice. He's not interested in being fair. He is interested in survival. There's more of them than there are of us. We got to put them in their place. Because if we don't do something to suppress them, there's more of them than us. They're already as big as our nation. They're going to take us. And so he creates taskmasters. He basically turns God's national church that he's building into a slave to slaves. Makes them build cities for him. And other things. Well, that doesn't work. Verse 12 says, but the more they afflicted him, the more they multiplied. The more they spread out. So that they were in dread of them. If your situation was bad in verse 8 and 9, it's really bad by the time you get... To verse 12. It's getting worse and worse and worse instead of fixing the problem. Now stop and back up and think about what's happening again behind the scenes. What, what is God doing? No matter how many people come to break God's promises, God does, doesn't break his promise. The people who want to squash the church and say, no, 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 you're not building the church. You're not building the national church of the Jew here. No, we're, we're going to squash that. And no matter how much affliction, how much oppression... God keeps building and keeps multiplying and it keeps growing. And he's doing that with individuals like you and me. Many times we, we go through problems and we're oppressed, we're afflicted. We've got a new boss and the boss doesn't seem to care about us. And our job security has gone way down and our life seems miserable. And yet somehow, sometimes even we don't even pray and God quietly changes things, blesses us, and we multiply, and we multiply, and we multiply. There was a great illustration of this in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. So those of you who've read that classic, you'll remember it. But I don't, I don't know what to call it. I call it the burning wall. You remember it. And it'd be good in here if we had some kind of mirror. If you can imagine a wall that you're looking at. And maybe a mirror over the wall so that you kind of get a glimpse. There's something going on behind the wall, but you can't really see it yet. And in front of the wall, the wall's on fire. And the flames represent the grace of God. And God is warming you and gracing you with all of his powers. And he's giving you more and more stuff. He's taking care of you. That's the flame. In front of the wall is Satan. And you see Satan with a pool of water and he dips his bucket and he throws water on the fire. Because Satan's not our friend. He's our enemy. He's trying to put our fire out. And you're the audience in in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And you're looking at that and you say, you see Satan, he gets a bucket just as you're the the person who's the wall is is aflame with God's grace and mercy. Satan hates that. He throws water and you think the Christian's done. You know, the fire's going to go out. He's going to put out your light. And every time the bucket of water comes, the fire burns hotter. 
and it burns more. And you're, you're sitting there puzzled, saying, how does that happen? Water is supposed to put out fire. And you see the glimmer with the mirror, kind of, you see something's going on behind the wall. And so then the, the mirror kind of angles so that you see behind the wall is Jesus. And Jesus is smiling, having the time of his life. And he's got buckets and buckets of oil. And every time Satan throws a bucket of water, Jesus just puts another bucket of oil. You know, fire can burn on top of water if there's enough oil. And Jesus just keeps fueling the flames. No matter what Satan does, he can't put out the fire. And Bunyan is telling us many times we're just looking at the wall and we're looking at Satan and we forget to see this silent, glorious activity of God sustaining us. No matter what the world throws at us, we just grow more and more. It's always been that way with the people of God. God takes us. He redeems us. He regenerates us. And little by little, we grow and grow and grow into the image of Christ. He blesses us and our household and our household's household time and time again to build his church. Perhaps some of you just feel like, man, I just, I'm getting afflicted right and left. Just again, remember that silent activity of God who's promised to sustain us, keep us, be with us, forgive us, love us, hear from us, and rejoice in the abundance that we get no matter what. Next, next look at the, the agents God uses, verses 15 through 21. Mentions two ladies. Verse 15, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of the women's... Um, one of whom was named Shipra, and the other was named Puach. And he said, when you're helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it's the son, if it's a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them. But let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, you know, why have you done this thing? And let the boys live. The midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women. They are vigorous. They give birth before we can get there. Verse 20, so God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty. And because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Wow. So the ladies at that time, they were, they were your nurses. They were your physicians. They were the ones who delivered the babies. And Pharaoh says, okay, I tried to get rid of them by giving them a lot of hard work. That's not doing it. So now I'm just going to start killing the boys. Because they have to kill all the boys. That will reduce the size of uh, Israel's army. And it will, um, re- you know, obviously reduce the, the opportunity for having babies. So that's his plan. So he goes and recruits the medical professionals who were women that deliver babies. And says... I'm making a law, anytime you go to deliver a baby, if it's a male, you kill it. I mean, this is beyond partial birth abortion. This is birth death. 
Immediately, kill the boys. God is clearly pro-life. And God's agents, Shipra and Puak, these ladies, they feared God. It says, we know God is pro-life. We know God would not have us destroy babies. We know the king who would destroy babies will easily cut off our heads without thinking. So we know we're risking our lives to be obedient. But that's what we're going to do. God could take care of us without anybody else. But God usually uses the church to bless the church. And here he gives us an example of using these obedient, faithful women who feared him to bless a nation. And for that obedience, he rewards them. He says, I'm going to build you houses and households as a blessing for your blessing to the others. Just think about your, uh, your activity. Say, so who am I? I'm just one. I'm just two women. I'm just a guy. What, what could I possibly do that's significant in God's plan? God took two women and blessed a nation. That's huge. Certainly God could take two of us and bless Anderson. That'd be easy compared to what God has done. And, and how does he do it? He does it through quiet, faithful work. Just call it simple obedience. Fear God and do what he says. You don't have to make any noise about it. Matter of fact, I'm sure they kept real quiet about it. At risk of losing their life. Think about significant stuff again that happens in silence. Already today, I've been emailed. People have posted. People have chatted. People have tweeted. Think of all the the communication you get regularly, every hour, in our world. How does it get to you? Who sends it? Is it Al Gore? Is he doing that? It's some tech guy, right? Or some tech gal. Somebody, it used to be a mail carrier. But now it's even more quiet and it's more silent. Some tech guy is, is taking what you post and you send and it's sending it to somebody. It's making all this happen. It doesn't just happen. And maybe you're one of those tech guys. And that quiet work that you do, and we don't even know your name. Yet if you don't do it, we don't, we don't function anymore. We need that work that you do. And it blesses millions. And it's the same, God, that's the way God likes to work. He may be using you to creating a baby in your womb. He may give you computer skills that enables you to communicate, help two people communicate that will change the course of history. And we sometimes miss this quiet, very significant work that's going on behind the scenes that God has designed to advance and multiply and greatly increase His church. So think about your faithful work. So, well, nobody sees me. Nobody knows me. Nobody cares. God does. God sees. God knows. He's planted you right where you are for a very quiet but very significant task. 
And we do that over and over, and God blesses. Well, there's one other verse, verse 22. It says, Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Wow. Plan C, okay? Plan A didn't work. Give them a lot of hard work. Plan B didn't work. Tell the medical professionals to kill them. Plan C, I'll just tell everybody to kill them. Pass a law to kill every Hebrew boy. If you see a Hebrew boy alive, he's small enough, you can pick him up, pick him up, and throw him into the Nile. We have got to solve this problem. Now, you and I, 21st century believers, we can cheat, and we can read chapter 2, and we can read chapter 3, and we can figure out, how did they get out of this predicament? But let's, for just a moment, put yourself in their shoes. Suppose you can't read chapter 2, and you don't know that one of those babies thrown into the Nile is going to be Moses, and he's going to come out of that river and lead God's people to deliverance. Suppose you don't know that. You're stop at verse 20. That's your life. You, the, the nation has just decided we're not going to honor Christians anymore. We're not going to give you places of worship. We're going to double your taxes. We're not coming for you in times of national disaster. Right now, we've got the fire burning in California. We've got a hurricane a brewing in the Atlantic. And if it comes to Christians, we're not going to take care of them. Suppose that were the law of the land. Then we are living where they were living in verse 22. What are you going to do then? And the answer is, we keep doing the same thing we've been doing. And that is trusting and resting in our glorious God who keeps multiplying and blessing us over and over and over. We trust in the God of the resurrection. He's building his church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We don't really have to worry. We're okay. God will come up with some solution. You might not hear it. You might not see it coming. But God will redeem. Well, uh, I don't really have time, but I'd I'd love to. to, I'll do this in my discipleship class if you come. to, to, To compare for you what is happening in Exodus 1. 430 years, God begins to build a national church to some 7 million folks. Took four, it took 400 silent years. What happens in your Bible between Genesis 50 and Exodus 12? Silence. There's nothing about it except that people are in Egypt having babies. You get to chapter 12 and they start leaving Egypt and their national church and begin to take the world through Silence. God's faithful silence. Now, compare that with Matthew 1. What's happening in Matthew 1? Silence for 600 years since the deportation in Babylon. To Matthew 1, you've got 600 silent years. What's happening? And you see, again, God says, I am. And building an international church. And you get to Acts chapter 2. And he says he has a Jew. He said not just a Jew. A devout Jew in every 
nation on the face of the earth. How do you get a devout, worshiping entity, family of God, in every nation on earth? You have babies. And you spread them. And God took 600 years and spreads his people, his Jews, to every nation on earth. And then he has a festival called Pentecost. Says, I want every one of you to show up. And he gives the gospel to the Jew first. And then the Jew takes it to the Gentile. And God goes international and builds the kingdom of God. And he says, and I want you to pray, thy kingdom come. The quiet, silent, faithful work God is building us. God sent Moses after 400 silent years to deliver and lead. After 600 years, he sends his only son to redeem and to rule the nations. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father, so, so very much happens in the silence, in the quietness. And that which happens most is your faithfulness. So faithful are you to keep every word of the book you've given us to study. Father, we thank you for your ways, your glorious faithfulness to us. Lots of us have tough situations, but it's nothing you've not prepared for, And it's nothing you can't handle. We thank you for who you are and all you do. And we worship you. Thank you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.